I know this is very controversial, but the reality is, as I've examined people and talked to a lot of people in a lot of countries regarding the, the traditional way of bringing people to Christ, uh, the results are dismal. 5% of the people who walk the aisle through a, I said the prayer, you ever see really do anything in the church. Uh, they might come at, uh, uh, you know, to special times. They might come occasionally. Some may even be regular attenders, but that's what they are. They come, they sit in the pew, they sing the songs, and they go home, and their life goes on as normal. Welcome to the CDM Podcast, a production of Contagious Disciple Making. We exist to catalyze movement through coaching, community, and communication. We created this podcast to help everyday Christians become world-changing disciple-makers. Welcome to the CDM Podcast. Like, share, five-star rate, and review this podcast. You can listen to our full premium content by becoming a $5 a month supporter on our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash faithworks. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash faithworks or click the link in the description. To those of you who support this podcast, thank you. Your support helps us put tools in the hands of men and women like you who want to experience a disciple-making movement in their own neighborhood. Thanks so much for joining today. I'm Rebecca Ewing, and I'm here with David Watson. And uh, we're going to be talking about the importance of obedience-based discipleship and I know disciple-making. And I know this is really important to you, topic for you, David. It really is. It's it's a topic that's built over 30 years, uh, and it basically, in, in my understanding of obedience, uh, John chapter 14 and 15, John 1, all of John 1, 2, 3, first John 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, deals with the concept that obedience is how we tell Jesus we love him. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll you'll obey my commands. Everyone who loves me obeys my commands. He who obeys my commands is the one who loves me. And, mm. and, and basically, John wraps up faith, obedience um, into the same package and love all into the same package. These, these are all related things. We talk about them like they're different and separate. But you can't say, I love you and not obey Christ. Just like you can't say, I love you to your brother and hate him. Those, those, are, right. those are conflicting things that go on in our lives. And as, I, as I've been thinking about obedience-based disciple-making, the first step is the disciple-maker. Uh, we often think that we talk about, we hear someone say obedience-based disciple-making, we want to talk about helping the, the new disciple to become obedient. But the reality is we don't learn obedience from words. We learn obedience from actions. Exactly. And that requires that the disciple maker be one who loves God and demonstrates that love in their obedience. Mm-hmm. So knowing the one another passages, knowing the commands of Christ, understanding the relationships and our responsibilities and relationships, and being willing then to say, I'm going to love God with my obedience. The interesting thing is when we love God obediently, then the people we're serving feel loved. That's one of those things that I've been noticing over and over again. People say, you really love us. And and it's because I'm trying to live an obedience life while I'm training them to be obedient. And they see that because I'm obedient to the one another passages, because I'm obedient to the commands of Christ, 
that that demonstrates to them a level of love that they had not experienced before in any other religious work or anything else that was going on. So learning how to say, I love you through obedience to Christ, the, you know, the adage is you can't love someone if you don't love Christ. You can't love Christ without being obedient. When you're obedient and love Christ, that love, that love comes across to the disciple that you're working with. And that's the part we want to help understand more is that our obedience is not just about the relationship with Christ. It's a relationship with everyone we deal with. And that's the important thing for us to remember is that obedience is not a compartmentalized part of our life. Well, if I do these things in this part of my heart, then, then I should demonstrate Christ's love to Christ. But he's saying, no, no, if, if you're obedient, your love for me results in love for people. And they're going to see that love. They're going to understand that love. And that's what we're supposed to be about is helping people learn how to be obedient, how to grow in their obedience, not simply because we are introducing them to biblical passages, but because they see it in the disciple maker's life. And the bottom line, we can't make good disciples. We can't make obedient disciples unless we are obedient disciples. Mm -hmm. And the checkpoint is, where am I? Before I start trying to be a disciple maker, before I start even being uh, critical of disciple making, I need to be self-critical. I need to be looking at my own life. I need to have mentors that help me look at my life. I need to have other people in my life that help me look at my life and, and be working on the weaknesses as well as working with the strengths that we have because obedience is about continuing to grow. You, you you just you cannot stay stagnant yeah. if you're living an obedient life. Absolutely. You don't stay in one place. And, you know, you're, you're referring to John, we'll be talking about that even farther along, but, you know, he, he, he connects with first John, right? Where it says that if you love, if you love me, but you hate your brother, you don't really love me. Because again, that's not compartmentalized. Our obedience to God is not compartmentalized. And so therefore our obedience to him, our love for him, results in the love for other people too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, um, it, it's important for us to be able to have this different idea of, you know, disciple making in the sense of that it's obedience-based, not knowledge-based, because it'll unlock a lot of this uh, movement that we're talking about in the process of it. You know, you said once, you know, why don't we see church planning movements or disciple-making movements in the United States? It's because we read the word, but and we amass knowledge about him, but we don't do anything with our knowledge. And uh, in fact, we 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 put we say that a person is more spiritual because they have the knowledge rather than the obedience. And I'm sure this is something that you have seen as you talk to people about this is helping them to be able to to make that shift into thinking that actually what makes a person spiritual a spiritual is their reflective obedience to God. And so um, you had said in your article just a little bit later, the modern church has made the Christian life way too easy for its members. What did you mean by that? Well, part of it is just the beginning part of it. If you say this prayer, then, then you're going to be a Christian and you're going to be okay. It's interesting. You can't find that prayer anywhere in the Bible. Uh, matter <laughs> of fact, from a, from a social anthropologist, social anthropological issue, it is an animistic prayer. 
if I, if I say this formula, then God has to obey me and give me salvation. And that's, that's starting off on the wrong foot right there, is that salvation is a gift from God to us. It's not something we can purchase. It's not something we can demand. It's not something we can give. And the only way we get to and find it is through finding and falling in love with Jesus. And so the starting point is often in the wrong place. It's I do something and God is obligated to love me, to care for me, and, mm-hmm. and to give me fire insurance against that point when I die so I don't go to hell and I go to heaven. Mm-hmm. And the reality of the of the sinner's prayer, and I know this is very controversial, but the reality is, as I've examined people and talked to a lot of people in a lot of countries regarding the, the traditional way of bringing people to Christ, uh, the results are dismal. Uh, they're only they're only order of five percent of the people who walk the aisle through a, I said the prayer, you ever see really do anything in the church. Uh, they might come at, uh, uh, you know, to special times. They might come occasionally. Some may even be regular attenders, but that's what they are. They come, they sit in the pew, they sing the songs, and they go home, and their life goes on as normal. And and we've come to a place in, in Christianity that if you come to church regularly, you give money to the church, particularly if it's close to being 10% of your income, then you're you're called a good Christian. Right. It doesn't matter how you're running your business or how you're treating your family or how you are in a, to treating other brothers or your or your understanding of society and your role in society to help make it better. It doesn't matter whether you are spending time in worship and prayer on your own. It doesn't matter if you're trying to understand God's purpose for your life and living out and fulfilling that purpose on a day-to-day basis, as long as you're coming to church and giving your money. And if you show some teaching skills, we might let you teach a Sunday school class or something like that. Christianity in America is just way too easy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's Christianity is more than attending worship. Mm-hmm. It's more than teaching a Sunday school class. It's, it's more than, than smiling and saying, I'm okay all the time. Uh, I think one of the greatest heresies in the modern church is we fake being good. Mm-hmm. And we're taught to fake being good. If I'm coming to church and I'm giving my money and I'm doing what I can to help people occasionally, then I'm okay. The church says I'm okay. I'm a good person. And then when you say, how are you doing? They go, I'm doing fine. Right. And they're, and half of the marriages in the church are falling apart just like they are in the, in the regular society. And half the kids are having problems at school just like they are in regular society. Uh, half the people are are uh, dependent on drugs and alcohol, just like they are in, in regular society. So we don't see a change in life inside the church other than attending church and giving money and, and doing occasional things. That is not an impact that we would that we're seeing any difference than what we're seeing in the rest of society. And the thing is, I think that what you're you know, a lot of people are, are sitting there maybe who have you know, are a part of ministry or part of doing churches. Well, of course I want people to be doing all those things, you know, but the reality is how we conduct our ministries that we don't require people to do this in order to be able to be considered a part and a good member. You know, when we leave things out of our planned activities, then we don't require them. When we don't talk about it or celebrate it or work together on it, then we really don't require it. We maybe encourage it. We maybe say that these are nice things that you possibly choose to do, 
but we don't really obviously say this is what you need to do in order to be able to follow Christ and to know him and to, and, and to, to be one of his. And so, you know, um, we've, like you said, we've made it so easy. We've left out this idea of even knowing what it means to follow God. In fact, um, one of the things that, you know, um, you said is that, you know, be, being a disciple of Christ is a call to die. Like that is, you know, uh, one of the things that you, the questions that you have when you baptize people generally is, are you willing to die? To, to die for the cross of Christ. To yeah. die for the cross of Christ. Do we do that here in America? No, we don't. Well, and and it's, it's a systemic problem. Uh, preachers are basically paid to give a nice pithy sermon that people can not remember for more than a few hours and come back and do that Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and to make them feel good about things, to make them enjoy the worship service and all these things. When the role of preaching is to exhort to obedience, Mm -hmm. that's the primary reason for preaching is we are exhorting people to listen to God, to read his word, obey his word and live out the things that are coming in life through that relationship with the church and the word of God and, and the Holy Spirit and Christ in our lives and, and our friends and families and neighbors, all this works together. And in church, we've made church so simple that we don't see these complexities anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, matter of fact, we, we tend to separate families. The, the youth go here, the children go here, the adults go here. And the men, some type, some places, the women go here and the men go here. And, and, and everything is done as if we're isolated from the world instead of how do we obey this in the presence of our three-year-old? Mm-hmm. How do we obey this in the presence of my boss, who's also a member of this church? How do, we, how do we help people to obey when we are not in a position of authority, but we are in a position of accountability because we're fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? The people and those that are, we're those around. Are the things, say again? The people that we are around. Yeah, the, all the people that we're around. And what we've done in church is we, we you know, it's a, it's a nice package. We come, we may go to a Bible study that lasts for 45 minutes and we eat some donuts and, and have some coffee. And, and then we go into a worship service that's going to add another 45 minutes to an hour and a half to the time. And, and we're always isolated on what we say and what we do, except for maybe someone might ask our opinion. But when was the last time when the when the pastor stood up and said, I want you to turn to one another and tell you how you're going to obey the, the Christ speaking to you about loving your spouse? Mm-hmm. How do you love one another? Right. What does that look like? Right. And, and what should it feel like? Right. How do you love your neighbor as yourself? How do you love God beyond all other things? You start looking at the things that Scripture asks of us, and mostly we're not dealing with it because each one of these things are very, very personal, even though they're also very, very corporate. We've, we've, we've got to do them in a personal way and a corporate way for them to make a difference in the church. And it's hard work. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly hard work to say, I want every person in my church to be engaged in a conversation about how to love God and your obedience language is how you love God. You're leaving out your obedience language is how you love God and loving others. Well, if you love God properly, you're going to love others properly. I mean, that's just part of it. So if you're not, if you're not at 
first sight saying, okay, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey all, com- all my commands. And he gives some really wonderful verses in, in, in John 14, talking about the results of loving, like the Father and I will come and make our home with you. My mm-hmm. joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. All the prayers you ask will be answered. I mean, th- these, these kind of promises that Jesus made as a response to our love for him. And, and we forget that even though we talk about God's love being conditional, unconditional, when we love him properly, other things come into our lives that we haven't seen before. And church is not promoting that. We have anemic Christians because we don't know how in the modern American movement to bring the intimacy that's needed for church to really happen. And and that's the reality we're looking at. You know, I really liked what you were saying that the preacher doesn't, you know, the preacher's role is to call people to obedience. And I'm sure that in many ways that may be something shocking that even some people would think like, oh, what? Because if you think lately about the type of sermons that we hear, we actually feel, I would say that I would describe that the pastor's main goal is to call people to be comforted, you know, to be comforted by the idea of God and his love for us and his care for us, that their goal is to comfort as of the people as opposed to call them to obedience that sounds like a perpetual funeral service. Um, right. You know, <laughs> or, you know, something like that. So I really liked what you said one time uh, in your article is that every time we open God's word, he invites us into relationship. We call his invitation grace because we can't do anything to deserve it. But obedience is how we accept his invitation. And God lives with those who obey his word. You know, when we're talking about this idea of relationship and love, you know, all the songs in the world, you know, we can sing all day about and have appreciation and good feelings for God, but it's not those feelings that are the true expression that God looks for when it comes to people who love him. It's obedience. And so I don't think what people are realizing nowadays is the relationship between obedience and love for God in the sense that it is a relationship. But a lot of times we've, we've separated it and said, this is my relationship with God and grace. And over here is obedience. And they're not seeing that is the very means in which we have a relationship with God. And, and even more importantly, we turn it into a transactional relationship. If God does this, I do this. If I do right. this, God does this. And we see our, our obedience as part of the transaction that I get more love and grace from God if I obey these things. That's not the way it works. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the grace is unconditionally given and it's unconditionally there. It's not something that I can earn. It's not something I can wish for. It's not something that I can pay for in any way. And yet, as we love God with the language he's asked us to love him with, that grace and mercy abounds in us. And it's not just grace and mercy from God to us it begins a part of how we are treating other people. Uh, and, and even in the model prayer it says, forgive me my debts as I forgive those who have debts against me or have sinned against me. And, and there's a conditional there. We go, wait a minute, my, my forgiveness is based on me forgiving others. But that's not what's being said. It's because the, the whole thing is about love. That, that model prayer is about the love that God has for us. And when we respond to that love, it touches other people. Mm-hmm. 
and and we respond in mercy and forgiveness and kindness to them rather than in holding grudges and backstabbing and fighting and and all the other things that we find ourselves doing that we really don't want to do we feel really bad about doing and that's the thing about sin when you're feeling bad about something it's probably sin it's not love <laughs> and, and even though you say you know I'm you know I'm it's righteous it's the right thing to do if you're feeling bad about it it may not be the righteous thing to do because you can do righteous things with the wrong motives mm-hmm. and that doesn't and that negates the righteousness and that that's part the of the opposite could be true. You could do the wrong things with the right motives. Like I'm trying to do something. Well, that's okay. But you're going about it the wrong way. <laughs> going about it the wrong way, or we just don't know. We just mm-hmm. don't know sometimes, but that's the reason our lives are dynamic. And, and it's something we have to practice. It's something that we, and by practice, I don't mean practice in the sense of learning how to hit a baseball or, or you know, play a sport or another game. It's a practice in the sense that I'm using it to the point that it that it's it's getting muscle. It's it's becoming a part of my life. That when someone cuts me off in the traffic traffic, it, it's it's not an automatic curse. It's an automatic help that person not to kill anyone. It, it's a it's a prayer for them that their driving is not going to hurt someone else, and that God would remind them of their position as a responsible driver is to care about the other people around them not simply to care about themselves getting from point A to point B. And and that's just one small example of when we start living out obedience in our lives as our love language to God, it becomes our love language that impacts other people. And that's the reality. The more we love God, the more people sense our love for them. And it comes out in so many different ways because you cannot be condemning of your brother when you know that in the very act of condemning, You've committed a sin, mm-hmm. and now you're no longer worthy to condemn. Mm-hmm. The condemning belongs to God; it doesn't belong to us. And mm-hmm. so, when we take the things of God upon ourselves, whether it's a judgment of righteousness or condemnation, or or trying to make someone feel guilty about their sin so they'll turn to God, all of that's God's role. That's not our role. And and the Bible's very clear: when we step in front of God, we take His place then we sin. That's the first sin. I am the Lord, your God. You will have no other gods before me. When we step in front of God, we're saying, God, I'm better. I can take care of this. I'm better than you. And we just put ourselves in front of him and people can't see him because we've taken on the role and we're pretty, we're pretty poor gods. And well, the thing is, is that our insistence or that our, you know, nervousness of calling people to obedience also cuts people off from the benefits of obedience, uh, the benefits that are to our community, the benefits in our relationship with God. And, and you know, so John not only talks about how, about how obedience is equated with our love for God and that it's required as a part of knowing God, but also talks about the benefits uh, that comes from that as well. And I believe you made a, a, in one of your articles a huge list of the different things that it says in there about, you know, the benefits. And, you know, we hear a lot of people saying, well, how can I feel closer to God? How could I be filled with the Holy Spirit? And most people, they only think of, you know, basically praying in tongues or, you know, singing praise and worship or something like that in order to try to, to do that. But 
it actually comes through obedience is one of the benefits. Yeah. And the whole thing about even worship, it says, you know, Paul said to Romans, to the Romans, Romans chapter 12, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Mm -hmm. This is your reasonable act of worship. Mm -hmm. uh, part of what we've lost in our obedience is recognizing that there is no worship without sacrifice, period. That is, that is, a, that is a core value from the beginning of, of Revelation to the end of our beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. And as we, as we begin to think about it, if, if, if true worship becomes, is about sacrifice, and animal sacrifice is has no longer a part of worship since Christ paid the ultimate price on the on the cross. Worship is about our lives, and and that's what love is. Love is sacrificing part of ourselves. It's always about sacrificing part of ourselves. When you love someone who hates you, you're sacrificing a lot. Mm -hmm. When you have a kind word for someone who's been ugly to you, you're sacrificing. Because our nature is to strike back, our nature is to yell back, our nature mm -hmm. is to curse back, and and all of the all the commands that deal with our behavior says no, I don't want you doing that. Bless those who curse you. Bless them. Mm -hmm. Love those who hate you. Be kind to those who who would harm you. If someone takes you one thing, give them more. If someone demands so much of you, then give them more than they've demanded. The whole picture here is that this is what God has done for us. He's given us more than what we deserved. And that's part of the blessing. That's part of his love, that mercy and grace to give us more than we deserve and actually give us even more than we would ask for mm -hmm. out, of, out of his nature and his understanding that, that we can't comprehend, but we can experience. But we can't experience them until we walk in obedience. And then he's living in us and through us to change people around us. And that, that brings us back to disciple making. Disciples are very observant of the disciple maker. They know when you're not feeling good. They know when you're testy. They know when you're in a weird mood. They know when you're upset. They know all these things about you because they've been around you enough, just like your family, to read these things in your life. And, and there comes a place when they say, okay, well, you know, he says this, but I see this. Mm -hmm. And when we're not living in that, in that walk of love with Christ, we're not, we're not living in an understanding that my relationship with people is predicated on how much I love God. Mm -hmm. and, and so when that. we talk about the enemy whoever that enemy is whether it's a, a national enemy or a personal enemy or an unseen or unknown enemy uh, then when we talk about that with hatred and vitriol and and frustration and our disciples hear that then then they're saying okay wait a minute um, hmm, where's the love mm -hmm. where's the love because the commands, the commands from God are, that's not the way we behave. That's mm -hmm. not how we do things. And that's the part that we're trying to, to help disciple makers learn is that if you're a disciple maker, you have an obligation to be striving for, for everything that God wants for you in being a disciple maker. 
And, and you can't be a good disciple maker unless you're obedient, unless you're, you've gotten past all the pettiness of your life. Now, that doesn't mean you're perfect. None of us are. But it means we're always striving to be better. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's the beauty of the book of Hebrews. Uh, the book of Hebrews just says, just be better. <laughs> you know, I have this, but just be better than that. Be, be better. And we, we have to keep coming back and back to looking at ourselves. And that's, that's the reason we need to have groups of leaders working together. The reason we need to have ministry partners. The reason we need to be in relationship to other people. The reason we need to teach our family how to, how to have permission to correct us when we, they see us not being the people we should be. Mm-hmm. Because all of this is what God uses to say, you know, don't hit, don't hit this boundary too hard or you're going to cause yourself a problem. And when you cause yourself a problem, it's going to cause your disciples that you're making for me a problem. And it's going to cause the people that you want to win to Christ, not want to come to Christ because they see what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but I, I've done enough personal evangelism in my life to know that the number one excuse for not becoming a Christian is, well, I know a Christian who had really screwed me over right. and I don't want anything to do with Christians. You know, I think what you're describing, David, is that, you know, we can become the biggest barrier to movement, which is, you know, quite shocking, right? Uh, Is that, you know, first off, as you said, people can see the difference between what we say and what we do in our life, the more they get to know us. And then two, um, as as you were were talking about the different benefits from John 14, where it's saying that those that obey him— will be filled with the spirit, will be guided by a spirit, that their prayers will be answered, that they will be fruitful. So the opposite is true. If we're not obedient, our prayers don't get answered. We're not filled with the spirit. We're not fruitful, you know, as we see those things. So we, we have to constantly make sure that as we are seeking movement, that God's moving through us and not expecting him to move despite us. Yeah, I, I have a different, little different view of that. God is moving. We're either we're either like the the pylon of a of a bridge over a river that water is constantly pushing against it, but we never move. Mm-hmm. But if we're if we're truly being what God wants us to do, we're moving with Him as He's moving into right. communities and into places like that. And and that's that's what our responsibility is: is to be those people who wherever we go, make a change. Now, how we make it is important. Are we making it through encouragement? Are we making it through love? Are we making it through care? Uh, Are we making it through standing against the things we should stand against? Are we making it through stepping into places that are dangerous for to step step into, whether it's emotionally dangerous or, or, or mentally dangerous or even physically dangerous to step in and say, no, you're not going to hurt this person. Mm -hmm. Uh, you're going to have to hurt me first to hurt this person. And and those are the kind of things that we start beginning to realize. We see Christians who are doing what they're supposed to do. And as we do it together as a community, we have much higher impact on everything that's going on in our, in our, in our cities, in our churches, in our schools, in our places of work. All of these things are important. And when we look at the breakdown of American society that we're seeing right now, it's because we have a breakdown of church. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the reason behind it. And, and, and the breakdown of church is not the, that the churches aren't worshiping and meeting. It's right. that the churches are not preparing their people to love because they haven't been taught how to obey 
and in obedience show God love. And because they love God, they show better love to people that they don't even know. I think that's really important. You said it that said that, David, because a lot of people would initially say, "You're right." You know, we're we're seeing a breakdown because we're not being able to to go to church. It's like it's not about going to church as much as being the church and doing what the church is supposed to be doing, and that's what we've been missing. And unfortunately, that's what's been what we've been missing for a long time. And while we this this breakdown didn't happen just as the the lockdown happened, it's been happening for a while. Um, well, and that's that's also part of part of what we're seeing is that because people don't know how to be church, mm-hmm. when they became isolated, they lost all sense of direction right. for some. Mm-hmm. And you know, for my household, we've actually probably done more ministry in the last year, even though I was in the hospital about eight months of that hospital mm-hmm. and home care. And, and we've, we've been caring for a lot of people, the phone calls, the emails, the 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 social distancing to talk to neighbors, all kinds of things are going on. And our churches are not preparing us how to love our neighbor because we don't know how to love God. Right. And the Bible is very specific how you love God. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. And, and that's, I mean, you can't get any more specific than that. And Jesus said it, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And when we fail to obey the commands, that doesn't just impact us. It impacts our family. It impacts our communities. Mm-hmm. And we're supposed to be the pillar and foundation of truth. That's, that's, one of, that's one of the metaphors for church. We are the pillar and foundation of truth. The pillar and, and foundation was what was set up to build a building in Roman time. So you, the foundation had to be had to be totally flat and square. I mean, it, it was level. And then the pillar was put up there, absolute 90 degrees, absolutely straight up and down. And then from that, everything else is measured to build that building. The community is the building. The church is supposed to be the pillar and foundation. Yes. And if you want a good community, you want a good society, your church and your churches have to be true pillars and foundations, except the reality is the churches are having as much problem as the rest of society. Right. We don't know how to keep our marriages together. We don't know how to raise our kids to be happy, well-producing well, well and loving people. We don't know how to reach out to a neighbor who's ugly to us and still be nice and kind to them. We don't know how to do all the things that we should have been taught how to do as a member of the church. We haven't been taught that. Thanks for listening to the CDM Podcast. To hear part two, become a supporter on our Patreon page. You can find the link in the description. For coaching or other resources, connect with us at ContagiousDiscipleMaking.com.